Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, she's the host of Amy Weber Unleashed, actress, model, singer, real estate agent, former WWE superstar. It's Amy Weber. How are you doing today, Amy? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests is go right to the beginning and talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Sure. So I was raised in a really small town in Illinois called Mapleton, which is very close to Peoria. Most people can usually figure out Peoria, Mapleton, they kind of throw their hands in the air like (laughs) what the heck that is. Um, But it was a small corn farm community. And so I was raised really um, on a corn farm and I raced motorcycles as a kid and was pretty much a tomboy. And that's kind of where it all started. Did you like that kind of living out in nature, things like that kind of lifestyle instead of living in the city at a young age? You kind of learned a lot of different things out in the farm? Yeah, I mean, I think at the time, obviously, I didn't know anything different other than what I was experiencing because I was so young and, you know, K through 12th grade, there was probably 300 kids. So it was just a really, really small community, which I guess can be good and bad, right? <laughs> business, But um I think looking back now, knowing that now I live in a very large metropolis, being Los Angeles, I think that I did really, um, I like having that kind of an upbringing because it instilled in me a work ethic that I Mm -hmm. have today. Not to say that I wouldn't have had it, you know, being raised in a larger city, but I just know having to get up early and work on the farm and do things and, you know, uh, I guess did really instill some pretty good values in me. You talked about you raced motorcycles or you liked to drive those. What got you interested in doing that? Yeah. So I don't know if you kind of, for your, you know, listeners that probably don't know, I'm a very open book at this point, not to say I wasn't always an open book, but I've gotten to the age of 51 that I feel like, you know, some of the veneer and the, you know, the gloss needs to come off so that people can understand that you know, I've gone through a lot of things to get to where I'm at today. It wasn't always easy peasy. Um, You know, there's so many filters and fake and everyone wants to feel like they're having this sort of dream life. And I did not have that dream childhood. I did have a very rough upbringing. And um, my dad was an alcoholic and he was a very abusive guy. So unfortunately, my dad was a bit of a monster and I was deathly afraid of him. Every day he would tell me he was going to kill me and I did believe him. So he was kind of like a gearhead and was really into motorcycles. And I was supposed to be a boy up until the time that I was born. So I was a bit of a disappointment from the very Mm. get go. And, um, but he still raised me very much like a boy. So I was a tomboy and I I wanted to please my dad. I didn't necessarily want to race motorcycles, but that's what he wanted. Therefore I did it to please him and hopefully just keep him happy and calm. Were you ever worried if you made the wrong decision or the wrong move that something bad could happen if you didn't follow that direction that your dad wanted a boy and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember racing and it was really scary because honestly, back then, especially most dads did not want their sons being beat by a girl. Mm-hmm. And so they would do anything for me not to pass them, not to be, I mean, they were nasty. They would ram their, um, you know, their, their handlebars into me. I flipped and There were so many things that happened. And I remember the day that I got up the courage. I wanted to say to my dad, I don't want to race anymore. And I thought I really knew that day. I'm like, this is the day I'm probably going to die. 
because he's not going to be happy and he's going to fly off the handle. And my sister was racing also at the time and she had turned pro. She was 16 years old. So she turned pro. She was racing like Harley 750, Harley Davidson's. And um, I kind of just was in the motor home and I'm like, you know, the RV, like, you know, I, I really want to take pictures of, you know, Cindy when she's racing. And I think that that's something I would enjoy more than being out there on the track. And I was just like, you know, waiting for it. And he actually took it a lot better than, than I thought. And then that was pretty much the end of my racing days uh, until I got older. And then my sister and I kind of had a street bike, which was super, you know, crotch rocket, super dangerous. <laughs> I've been on um, and I ride still every now and then, but now that I'm a mom, I have to be a little more cautious. I remember my dad had a motorcycle and he bought me this tiny little, like kind of like those motorcycles you see at like arcades, those arcade machine kind of motorcycles. And I'm like, I can't drive this. And we would just go down this hill and I would just run into every like field of grass and stuff. And I'm like, nope, can't do this anymore. But yeah. I remember those times where I was with him and we, he had a Harley and things like that. But I was worried about our safety the whole entire time. Did you ever have any injuries from riding motorcycles? Yeah, I was so lucky. I got hit so hard at one point and I flipped end over and my bike flipped end over end. Ooh. And I just remember being told just tuck, tuck and roll. And I was doing gymnastics at the same time. And so I tucked, I was a ball. Like I just kept rolling. But because of that, I actually didn't injure my neck. I didn't injure and it's it's it came in handy when it came to wrestling down the line because yep. it's very much your neck and blowing out your air and what you do with your neck is important in wrestling also so um I did not get injured my sister unfortunately cannot get through a metal detector at this point without it going off because she has so many pins in her shoulder and her foot she um she fell and she got ran over by three bikes Ooh. Yeah. And I remember witnessing it and I was behind some hay bales and I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. And I just ran straight onto that track and she was, her body went into convulsions. Like I'd never seen anything like this in my life. Um, she had a tire print on her helmet from where someone had ran over her, but you know, thank God, she, you know, she made it. And, um, she had a lot of broken bones, a lot of internal injuries, but um, she's, she's okay now. She can walk. She just, she always says she can tell when it's going to rain. <laughs> Things will start like hurting that shouldn't be hurting kind of a thing. Yeah. Did you and your sister have a close relationship growing up or was the age difference or the things that you guys like to do kind of hinder that for a time being, but then it, over time it got better? Yeah. So we have a very interesting, complicated relationship. My sister was four years older than me, but I always felt like I was the older sister always kind of protecting her and making sure that she was okay. I mean, I remember times when she would go out with her friends and she'd come home wasted. And then I'd have to like drag her down the driveway and get her into bed. And then of course, you know, she's throwing up and sick. And I would pretend like we had gone out to, I don't know, some fast food restaurant and we both had food poisoning. And that's why we were both throwing up just so she wouldn't get in trouble. But we don't look anything alike. Like if you put us side by side, you would never think that we were sisters. And so I also was very much, I became a very kind of type A personality to keep my father's anger in check. 
And she kind of went the opposite way. So I was like straight A, AP classes, cheerleading, um, won the spelling bee, aced my SATs in the paper. Like I just did everything right. Not because I wanted to do everything right. I just didn't want to tick this guy off. And she didn't. And so she would say, people say your sisters like, and she's like, yeah, I'm the stupid, ugly one. And it was hard for me because I wasn't trying to make her feel that way. I just was in survival mode. And so as we got older, our relationship actually grew a lot closer. And, um, you know, we had a remarkable several, several years together. And then unfortunately, she was married to someone that they wanted to come to California. And I said, oh my gosh, it's a bad idea. So they kind of lived in my guest house for a while, free of charge. And I was kind of taking care of them and helping him get jobs. And um, there was just some mishaps, some things that happened. And I just said, look, you know, you guys have to understand that when things happen in our home, it's a liability for us. So just, you need to tell us, right. It's it's our house. People love suing people. And so there just was an incident where they brought some kids over that we didn't know. We had never met their parents. I was out at a red carpet thing and um, they were climbing up this rock wall. I mean, if, if the little girl would have been paralyzed, I just said, just, I don't know these people. I've never met them. And so he kind of got, I don't know, his panties in a bunch and was just like, I can't even walk up the stairs and somebody's going to lie. But I was like, Oh, whatever. You know what I mean? And so after that, I just, our relationship did sort of crumble, um, which is unfortunate because um, she has a really good heart. I just know that she obviously look, when you come from the kind of childhood that we come from, it messes you up tremendously. Yep. And I've done so much personal work that that's the only reason why I'm here and I'm not a drug addict or I'm off, you know, doing whatever I'm doing to get attention in whatever way possible. We just took two different paths. That's all. Um, But I love her dearly. I really do. As you were growing up, did you have any motivations or someone that kind of inspired you to follow your dreams and things like that? You know, um, books were my savior. Honestly, I'm such a bookworm. I'm the biggest nerd you will ever meet. I would escape into so many books. And I do remember reading a book and I don't remember the author, but it was called The Gift. And what I loved about it is that, you know, sometimes when you read books like 10 Steps to, and you know, Better Health, whatever it is, like yep. they're a little hard to get through. Whereas if you're reading a story that has a message kind of within it, you're still getting those steps, but you're getting it in a really interesting story and you're able to absorb it so much more. So it was called The Gift and it came in handy, really came in handy when I ended up with cancer because it really helped me mentally create a mindset that I needed and do a lot of visualization to kind of get through that time in my life. Did you ever have a dream job that you're wanting? We're always asked that question sometimes. What's that dream job we hope to have as we get older? Yeah, I mean, look, I I didn't realize it. As a kid, I wanted to be an actress. I was doing fine arts contests. I was winning all of these fine arts contests. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew I was making people laugh. And I thought that was hilarious. And I thought, you know, I was affecting people in some way. And I guess I was doing monologues. That's what fine arts is. It was doing monologues. And I just really wanted to be an actress, not an actress because I needed the recognition or I needed any of that. Again, I just, 
I feel like through the arts, through music, through, um, you know, movies or TV shows, if you can affect someone in some way, look, we can't all come out and do Schindler's List, right? I mean, that's just not the way it works. But even, you know, before COVID and the pandemic to, to go to a movie theater and even just laugh for two hours and to be able to escape whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether externally or internally in your life, I wanted to be a part of that. And I got to live out that dream, which was great. I think even nowadays people want that movie or they kind of have that feeling like I want to get back into the movie theaters or I want to go see a new release. And I think now through getting through the pandemic a little bit, people are getting to that feeling again because we've all been at home just watching Netflix or Hulu or any of those streaming services. And it doesn't have that same feeling like going to the, the experience. Theater. Yeah, it's not yeah. the experience of smelling the popcorn, yeah. not going to eat it. Um, yeah, that whole thing. And having that energy of other people around you laughing at the same time. It's yeah, the ambiance, basically, except you're not going to have to burn the popcorn in your house. And then your house smells like burnt popcorn the whole entire yeah. time. So that's true. Because that microwavable popcorn, man, you, <laughs> can never, you can never get that time right. It's just like two to two and a half. And I don't know the wattage on my, who knows the yeah. wattage on their no. microwave? Honestly, it was like, my, my daughter's like, mom, what do we have? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> honestly, just try a minute at a time. Okay. Just yeah. like a minute at a time. The minute you hear it stop popping, just stop. Right. At all it caused run to the microwave. Yeah. What was that next step for you after high school or going into college? Where did you go and what was that path leading towards? Sure. So um, I did start college at the University of Central Florida in Orlando, and I was a psych major. So I really thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And um, I slowly realized that I was really bored at college. It was really easy for me and I didn't feel motivated at all really to go to class. And I just knew that, you know, once again, I was doing something to try to please my father. Mm-hmm. I was trying to make him happy. And then I had a really weird epiphany while I was in college. And it was like, I almost could see my future. I fast forwarded into my future and I realized, oh my gosh, okay, I'm a psychiatrist now and I'm married and I have kids. It's like, my marriage is failing. I'm a terrible mother. I hate my patients because I didn't do what my heart told me to do. I didn't follow my path. And I just saw like, oh my gosh. And then because of that, I'm miserable in my job and I'm bringing that home to my marriage. I just like, I just saw everything crumbling and I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. And so I quit college and I took on three jobs. I was three jobs to save as much money as I could. And I just knew I had to get to California. There was just something propelling me towards it. And I didn't know anyone in California. I didn't know what I was going to do when I got here, other than I had sent out this really tacky headshot to like (laughs) 10 agents is black and white. And they had like, I don't know, they had taken like hairspray with my eyebrows and with a hairdryer and like blown them up really high. And my hair was human. I look like a lion, like, like a, <laughs> not a good lion, like just a freaky, weird lion with like a lot of makeup. And I thought if at least two out of the 10, give me some type of response, I'm going to LA And I did. I got really good response. Now, granted, they were terrible agents. I didn't end up with them, but it did (laughs) propel me to get on that 10 freeway and never look back. 
was those, you talked about how those agents kind of gave you that confidence. What would have happened if you didn't get those responses? Did you have kind of a backup plan or the mission was to get to California no matter what? I mean, look, I said that I wouldn't go had I not gotten the response, but I didn't want to live with any type of what if regret. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, my, my motto at this point in life is the answer is always no, unless you ask. It's always going to be no, you have to ask. And so I didn't want to live with regret. So no, there's never been, I don't know, I feel like a plan B sometimes for me personally, not to judge anyone else. A plan B is a cop out that just gives you an out. Mm-hmm. And so if it for me, I'm just, there was no plan B. I was, I was going to go there no matter what. And I just said, okay, well, it, it just, I'm meant to, it's meant to happen if these agents, you know, respond to me. So. What was that first experience being in LA and kind of living out, kind of hoping to live out your dream? It was, it was just crazy coming from a really small town. And then even in Florida, I didn't live in some huge, I wasn't in Miami. You know what I mean? I wasn't in some crazy town. Um, I just remember I got to this um, hotel that had a kitchenette because I didn't know where I didn't have an apartment. I had Mm -hmm. nothing laid out for myself other than I knew I could stay with this kitchenette because there was a little kitchen. And um, I went to this bookstore called Samuel French that has every play, every acting book, every kind of, you know, method book that you can find. And my arms are like full and I'm in the parking lot. And I literally ran smack dab into John Lithgow, the actor. My books went everywhere. And he's like helping me pick them up. And I was like, this is like the weirdest situation. Um, it was overwhelming, honestly. And then I started calling people because I got this book that had every agent at the time. And like seven in the morning, I'm calling people thinking, is everyone dead? Like, what is happening? Like, where is everyone? Because in LA, they don't, they start a little late out here. It's not like Illinois. Like you can't just, uh, you know, call just uh, seven o'clock. Like usually 9, 30, 10, people might pick up their phone. And so I thought, was there some disaster that I like trying to like get on the news? It was a surreal situation for sure. That's so true. I'm from the Midwest. I'm actually in St. Louis. So okay. kind of close to Peoria. And that's the same way. I'm up early and I'm like, where is everyone? Like, why aren't people up? And then you have to remember even with like time zone changes, that's the hard part. Cause if it's eight o'clock, it's six o'clock where you are. And you just have to know that not everyone's at the same mindset when it comes to waking up at the same time. But I think that might have that kind of Midwestern in you where you want to get up early and kind of start your day instead of waiting until later and things like that. Yeah. Well, the early bird gets the worm. I'm full of all these, but they, it seriously, I just want to get, I'm up at five o'clock out here. I'm at the gym. I've had the dogs are fed. They're out. I've already pretty much started my day. My day is almost done by the time most people, I guess, wake up. <laughs> I just know, like for me, like if I wake up like at that time and I do my gratitude and prayer and what I want to do in my meditation, I will control my day. My day will not control me. And that's vital because, you know, everyone says, oh, I don't have enough time. I don't have time. But when you look back and you realize that love them or hate them again, like the Elon Musk's of the world, the Warren Buffett's of the world, um, they have the same 24 hours in a day that we all do. Yep. 
depends on what you want to do with them, really. What was that first gig or opportunity you got after being in LA? Sure. So I was in LA only about a month when I was cast in my first um, national commercial, which Michael Bay was the director. And um, it was a, it was a really big production. I mean, I had my trailer and the whole thing and that's how I got my screen actors guild into the guild. Um, For people that don't know, that's our union that, you know, protects us and everything. So we don't work too many hours and not have unsafe set practices and stuff. So I was very fortunate. People, I don't want to say I was lucky because I was studying and training and reading every book possible. So I was prepared when an opportunity came to me. And to me, that's what luck truly is. So how was that experience on that first commercial? Did you kind of feel prepared for it or were you learning as you were going while you were there? I was so scared. I was like, I felt like a fraud, like, oh, I supposed (laughs) to figure out I don't know what I'm doing. And, and then I just remember like, you know, you want to look cute. It's your first commercial. You want to, and it was a huge commercial. And I just remember like my hair is naturally like pretty curly So man, she brought out these weird curlers and I just, I was like, this is not going to end well. (laughs) She put the, my hair was like, like little orphan Annie, like no matter how much pulling I was trying to get this terrible curl. I was like, (laughs) it looks so ugly. Okay. You don't need to do that. (laughs) Sorry. It's all good. Dogs that I cannot control. Um, so luckily it um, started raining a little bit. So we had to stop down and I was able to basically just get my hair to a semi-normal state. And then I went into wardrobe and I was like, that hat is fantastic. That hat would look really good for this scene. So I was able to put a hat on for part of it, but I don't know. No, you're never prepared really to be on set with that many people and that many you know, camera and focus puller and first AD and second AD and all the extras. And it was a lot of pressure, but it was, it was such a rush just, you know, the minute they said action and being able to kind of do it. And then, you know, when you see it on TV, uh, it's pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Was that experience kind of the stepping stone into major opportunities that you got over time? I don't know if it was a stepping stone. It was a stepping stone for sure in my confidence, knowing that I had what it, you know, what it would take to, to kind of, you know, do what I wanted to do. But look, Hollywood is a constant ebbing and flowing. Mm -hmm. You're only as good as your last project, honestly. And that's why actors are some of the most insecure people you will ever meet in your entire life, because they pin all of their self-confidence on the last time that they worked. And so I, you know, I do three movies in a row and guest star, and then I'd have an arc and then it would be like crickets, nothing. So you have to be really smart with your money. You have to be really um, like mentally, again, you have to really understand who you are as a person and not start to feel like you're a piece of crap. If for some reason you're not booking things because there's weird odds. Like you have to go on 33 and a half auditions. I don't know where the half comes from. (laughs) Show up late or something. I don't know. 33 and a half auditions to book one job. Those are the odds. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, that's totally different than like a job interview, basically. That's even worse because you have to, one out of 33, those odds are not great, basically, for someone that's 
kind of getting into that business, even like if people are listening to this that want to become actors and actresses, them hearing that it's kind of like, okay, I have to really push myself or really get there and kind of be passionate about that and know that I'm going to have to take those sacrifices to get that one job out of those many that they take. Or you have to want it. Like your why has to be beyond the money, beyond any fame. Your why has to be so strong or it'll break you. Because look, you have to, there were sometimes I had five auditions in a day. And back then, I mean, I'm 51 now, but I looked pretty young for my age because I'm, you know, like five, four, so I'm fairly petite. And so it would be like makeup, no makeup, sort of makeup, hair, you know, like I'm changing in my car. Like I created this little tent thing in the back (laughs) of my car so I could change under a sheet because I was back to back to back auditions and everyone, usually I, it's like, I would have to look totally different from one. Like I'd be going from say by the bell to like CSI and then back to seventh heaven. It's like, yeah. I mean, just those three names of shows, those are pretty big shows that were out there. Was it kind of surreal to be on those shows and see how big they were out in the public? Yeah, it was incredible. And even, especially just being on set and, you know, realizing people that you saw on TV and then how they are in real life. Some were very nice. Some were not very nice at all. Um, And yeah, it was very interesting. But for me, it was always just about, I wanted to do a service. Um, You know, I just always wanted to do a good job Um, when I got on set and, you know, as many takes as it took, make sure that I always knew my lines. I never wanted to be the reason that we had to do a retake um, I became like, it was so funny. Like I had this little reputation, like a one take wonder because like, <laughs> I was so prepared. Like, I'm like, no, I'm hitting my mark. I'm not getting in someone else's light. I know my lines. I know exactly what, you know, it's just, it was important for me, um, to do that. But look, that just all comes from weird childhood stuff of being a perfectionist. And that's not always good either. Right. I mean, yeah. like when I'm doing my podcast, it's like, I say, um, ah, uh, huh. I mean, this is <laughs> like, there's no one perfect. There's not, I touch my hair all the time. It's like a weird habit that I have, but you just have to like fully embrace all of you, all the ums, ums, ha, huh, what, you know, the stumbles. That's just human, right? It makes it more natural because if you have to edit every time you said, um, and then it's just like a break after break, it's just, it doesn't feel authentic. And I think we're just having a conversation we want yeah. it to flow and people can, their listener are going to see how natural we're being. And we're not trying to put a facade in a way when we're speaking. I don't even edit my podcast. It is- <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the very, it's so funny too. Cause the first podcast that I did, I even mispronounced my own last name. Oh was- no. <laughs> really? Like, but it was my first. It was like, okay, and go, you know? And it's like, all right. Like I've hosted for E and I've hosted for MTV and all these different people. And, but it's been a while, right? It's been a minute since I've hosted. And, but I thought just leave it in there. I don't care. I think I even said podcast, almost like a Freudian slip. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> not even podcast, podcast. I'm like, not that I'm thinking I'm going to make a lot of money from this, but yeah. Amy, you're now going to make me have to go rewatch those episodes and see where <laughs> these errors were. Cause now I know the secrets. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. So when did you get the call for WWE, because that we're talking about Saved by the Bell, CSI, Seventh Heaven, which is big shows. But now WWE is a huge global international show that's happening. How did that experience come about? 
Yeah. So prior to that, I had done a soap opera on ABC for about two years called Fort Charles, which was the General Hospital spinoff show. And then after that, I was a star on um, Howard Stern's show called Son of the Beach. And so that was on FX. And FX used to be Fox's dumping ground for reruns. And mm-hmm. they started doing sort of new new content. And Son of the Beach was the first uh, original content for that network. And so I kind of had made a name for myself in Hollywood. And I was doing you know a lot of movies and things like that. And then the way that that came about is that the WWE had a new diva search. They were looking for new talent. And um, I was old. Oh my gosh. I was, I hadn't been in my thirties, close to my thirties. And I lied about my age, of course, because you always do. I always lied about my age. Up until today, I lied about my age, my height. At one point, I didn't even know how tall I was. I couldn't remember how old I was because I had lied for 30 years. He's like, how tall are you? I'm like, used to say five seven and that is so not the truth <laughs> um i have a lot of heels because as a model you're supposed to be a lot taller but so they had a diva search and i had a modeling agency at the time so i had my own roster of models i had about 400 models on my roster and i was writing a book also about the industry and then one of my bookers said you should try out for this and i'm like yeah i'm i'm a little old for this you know what i mean and i don't think this is my thing and he goes, I know how frustrated you are with Hollywood because I got put on hold for some really big movies, like huge, like Miramax movies and 20, like really big movies that I don't even want to talk about. Um, and then I wasn't booking them. And I just felt like just disillusioned with Hollywood, I guess, in a way. And I just wanted to do something different. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to go do this diva search thing. It was like a, almost like a beauty pageant in mm-hmm. a way, except for like rougher and tougher kind of a beauty. <laughs> and um, I went down to Marina Del Rey. There were thousands of girls, like thousands. And I'm thinking, this is nuts. I don't know why I'm here. And even some people were like, oh my God, like Amy Weber's here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was almost this weird thing. Like, why is she here? Um, and they didn't understand my motivation, but I knew and, it just, they started whittling people down and almost like American Idol or something. I don't know. They put you in a room and like, they send a bunch of people home and I'm thinking, okay, it's probably, I'd such a defeatist attitude. I don't even know how I did it. Cause nowadays <laughs> I have such a great mindset and a great mentality. And I feel like I bring great things to me because I put out really good energy, but I had such a defeatist attitude, but then I just ended up somehow like at the very end of it for the LA round. And then I'm in New York And then I'm in the top 10 and then I'm live on, you know, raw. And um, I ended up getting fifth, I think fourth or fifth in that contest. What did I get? Wait, it was Christina, Carmen. Oh, fourth. Yeah, I think Joy and then me. Um, And then um, I was like, okay, whatever. That's fun. I joined the circus for a while and that was cool. (laughs) But then um, I got a call from Vince McMahon and I was like, oh my gosh, like Vince McMahon is calling me is crazy. And he said, look, we are looking for Heather Locklear of the WWE. And this is when, you know, look, she had come up in Melrose Place and she was known as like the person that stirred the pot. Mm -hmm. We need someone that can come in, that can handle the pre-tapes, can handle going live, that we can trust, um, that is athletic. And and he's like, do you want to come and be a part of the SmackDown brand? And I was like, "Uh, okay, you know, 
I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a wild ride there for almost a year. Before doing the diva search, did you have any idea what the WWE was and everything that went on with the show? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, my booker was so into it and um, DDP diamond Dallas page. He was like really into him. And I had helped cast like, cause diamond Dallas page did yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, to help with an injury. And I helped cast people in his yoga video through my agency. So, I mean, I kind of knew some of the current people, but I didn't re- know behind the scenes. No one really knows what goes on behind the scenes at all. After you got that call, did you head to the net or the week of SmackDown tapings and start right away? Or did you kind of do some training beforehand to kind of get comfortable or how did that okay. work out? No, they just throw you, they threw me into it. And so um, I wasn't really wrestling right away. And um, they we started doing little cat fights, like things like that. Joy and I were just kind of smacking each other around. And she was like hitting me in the head with a fishbowl and like weird stuff. <laughs> but, um, we did start training for a match that never happened because I ended up leaving um, the WWE. But no, they just throw you into it. And then you never knew if you were going to be on TV or not. Like you had to fly and you didn't know until you got there. And then they would hand you your sides to learn for the bit for the Mm pre-tape. And so the minute I land, I mean, I went and we do our makeup and we kind of wait and then the door knocks and then like, Amy, like here's a pre-tape. And then they knock and Amy, here's another pre-tape. I was like, Oh shoot. You know, started ticking people off. Like the minute I walked into the door because if you're on TV, that means that you're visible, which means that you're, you're basically people are knowing who you are, which means that you can start having like ancillary products like t-shirts and posters. And that's where you make your real money. So when I was taking TV time away from wrestlers that had been there a really long time, it wasn't sitting well with a lot of people. You mentioned being on the Diva Search with Joy. Did it kind of feel nice to be working with someone that you kind of had an experience with, with coming up into the WWE through the Diva Search? And now you're on SmackDown working with her. And it just, did it feel natural or like you had that good chemistry? Because on TV, it looked like you guys were really playing those parts very well. You kind of had a fake match where she didn't show up, but that's all the writing. But how did that kind of work backstage and things on screen. Yeah, I love Joy. She and I got along really well. Um, We had a really very similar like temperament and motives and just generally like she's such a good giving human being. But see, we weren't supposed to travel together, but we both were coming from the West Coast. Mm -hmm. Most of the wrestlers live on the East Coast. A lot of the wrestling takes place on the East Coast, right? Up and down like the coast. And so that's why they're in Connecticut. And so she and I would fly together on the same flight. And that means that we would have to get our car. We weren't supposed to be seen together outside of because we were enemies. And they want you back in the day, like if you were a face or you were a heel, like you weren't supposed to be fraternizing with the enemy. They wanted to continue what was happening on TV outside of the general public. So I would have to lay on the floorboard if she was driving or she would do the same when we got to the arena. So no one knew that we were together, but we would run the, um, the stairs together to stay in shape or find a local gym. And, um, 
so yeah, she, it, it was definitely a lot easier having someone that, you know, I knew from the search. Do you feel with, during your time, social media wasn't as big as it is today. Do you feel it would be a little bit different if you were doing it now through the experience you went through? And I know in an episode of your show, you talked about why you were, or why you quit and left and would it be different if social media was nowadays or during that time? I mean, potentially, look, I, you know, would I have called them out on it and then people would have given them grief and then we would have gone to wrestlers court and they would have maybe been held accountable for their actions. Potentially. I mean, look at the end of the day, um, no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you come from, I don't care your your race, your your religion, your cre- I don't care about any of that. If someone is being respectful to you, you deserve respect back. Yep. That's it. Plain and simple. It doesn't matter. If someone is being rude to you and you ask them like if you can find your adult voice and you can have an adult conversation with me and they're still, you know, being disrespectful, then you have to put them in their place. Great. I was so respectful to every single person in that company. There was the weirdest policy that even if people were in the middle of a conversation, like two high ups, like Triple H, let's say, and The Rock, you had to interrupt them and say, you had to be like, hi, shake their hand. Nice to see you. So rude. Who interrupts people that are in the middle or you'd have to stand there like an idiot waiting for them for some break in their conversation that you could then shake their hand. It was just weird. And so fine. They were so big on respect, Mm -hmm. but yet when the two guys disrespected me in such a humiliating way, nothing was done about it. And so that's why I was like, look, I'm setting a precedence here that you know, they're not going to be held accountable. That means that like, it's okay what they did. Um, And I'm not okay with that. So I had to move on. Through that moment, has it kind of kept you away from like, even like hearing about things that go on with the WWE since it was a part of your career or you're so happy with everything that you're doing that you're able to leave that back there and move on to the great things that you're doing now? Yeah, I don't hold. I mean, for a while, it was a bummer because I worked so hard on the match that Joy and I were supposed to have. And I ended up injured because of it. And to not have that come to fruition. Yeah, I was a little bit resentful. But then, look, you just realize it's so true that when one door closes, another one opens up. And I was never meant to be on the road 365 days out of the year. I was never meant to be like a a 20-year wrestler. It wasn't in the cards for me. There were so many other things that I needed to accomplish. And had that not happened, I wouldn't be here with you, right? So it all happened the way that it was supposed to. And um, I'm fine. I, I never really watched wrestling prior to being on it. So it's not like I stopped watching wrestling or I can't stand them. Look. I'm sure the two guys have grown up. I hear that they're family men now and they have children of their own. And I can only imagine if somebody did something like that to one of their daughters, how they would feel. And I'm look, it's only a big deal. Look, they, they, they poured a drink in my face and they slammed me to the ground when I was sleeping. So um, it's just, 
and it was like a Bloody Mary's. It looked like I had blood. I mean, it was just like a very bad situation. People think that they like took a dump in my suitcase. They did not do that. Someone did that to some other wrestler, like a Sable, like a long time ago, someone pooped in her suitcase. But that's just weird, right? Yeah. I mean, I always say that. I go, look, if you worked at McDonald's and someone poured a shake on your head, you would be fired. Yes. If someone like pooped in your purse at McDonald's or anywhere, not not that McDonald's is a bad job. Look, I mean, McDonald's, some McDonald's are paying like $15 an hour, right? Better than most minimum wage, but just any normal job, there would be consequences for your actions. And it just was a bummer that there wasn't, but look at the end of the day, no, I don't hold any grudges and I don't have any, I mean, if they were in front of me and they were like, look to me, of course I would have some choice words for them. I'm not just going to let it go. I would love to see them say, I'm sorry. I regret doing that. I was immature at the time and that would be great. Am I ever going to get that? Probably not, but I've given it to myself and that's all that matters. You mentioned about when you were working with WWE being on the road all the time. After you left, were you thinking about kind of settling down, doing a different kind of job, not being an actress, model, things like that? Or you still had a lot to accomplish and wanted to do and you still went out and did it? Yeah, I think if anything, it really propelled me to know like, okay, I missed Hollywood and I needed that. I needed that kick in the butt to kind of say, you had it really good, right? Where Mm -hmm. you were at. And I missed it so much. I had a book to finish. I had the modeling agency at the time that I wanted to kind of take to the next level, which I did. So um, if anything, I would say like, even when I'm coming back on a flight, when I was coming back on a flight, I'd write down all these goals, right? Because being away from home, it just, I got really charged up as far as like what I wanted to accomplish when I would get home from a movie in India or wherever I was at. So talk about your experience being a singer. Um, Your music is definitely, if someone kind of took it to a genre, it's kind of like upbeat club, pop music, dance kind of style, fun music, I would say. How did that come about? Well, I was singing in chorus when I was a kid. And then I was singing a little bit when I was 16. But then coming to LA, like you can only, you can only focus on so much at one time. Right. I mean, I, I, you have to put your eggs in a few different baskets, but to have them in 20 different baskets, like I always do singing just went on the back burner. And then I kind of got super insecure about it. Like, Oh, I'm not that good. I don't think I can do it. Um, so I started taking voice lessons again, and then I hooked up with these Grammy winning producing guys, the Jackie boys who had won a Grammy with Madonna and a bunch of other people. And I was like, you know what? I'm not doing this really like, so people can judge me. I'm doing this because like, I know what it's like to have a jam come on and you roll down the window and you just feel really good about it. So it's like, I'm doing it for those people and I'm doing Mm -hmm. it for me. And if people don't like it, like whatever, like the other day on TikTok, there's these two guys that dance. I don't know if you saw on my social media, they are super famous. These two guys, they dance together, usually in um, like suits and like they'll dance anywhere, like in the middle of the street. My song is a a sound now at TikTok. I have no idea how. (laughs) And they were dancing to my song, Dance of Life with Sean Kingston. I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh. Right. And so they had like, whatever, 
3000 comments, whatever they were, you can't read those comments. You know what I mean? Cause yep. out of the, whatever, four, 4,000 comments, 3,998 were all like, this is so cool. What a great song. Awesome. And then the other two were like, you know, what the F is this song? Or like, you know, this song sucks, you, whatever it is. But it's like, well, are, are you out there singing? Did, was your song on the radio? I yep. mean, did you even attempt to do it and then fail at it? Like, or w- what are you doing? Are you in your basement? Like what? Oh. You know? I, I, it's just like, for me, I'm like, try it. If you fail, you fail, but at least you, it was so much fun. Music is so, I miss it. So it's a one thing people say like, what, you know, doing real estate now, do you miss movies? I'm like, if something came along, maybe, but I have kids, I don't want to go travel. That's why I stopped the industry. Um, but if I was given the chance to go back into the recording studio, I would do it in a heartbeat for sure. Do you have a favorite song? Someone that's listening to this, if you had a song for them to go check out, what would that song of yours be? Oh my gosh. Um, I have a song with like, well, he's not little, so little anymore. Little Romeo. Um, uh, It's called show me your love. And that's a pretty cool. And then you're my favorite drug. That was a pretty cool song. You know, honestly, I mean, I like almost all of them. The only one that I wasn't thrilled with, my very first song, my record label said, you should do a cover. And so they had me cover this British girl band um, called Girls Aloud. They were kind of like the Spice Girls. And because I hadn't written the song, because I I co-wrote all the rest of my Mm -hmm. songs, it just felt a little bit disingenuous and not as, I don't know, I wasn't into it as much as when I actually wrote the lyrics it's not your kind of work. So it's kind of like you have to kind of go off the vibe of someone else creating it and kind of try to replicate it. But when you're creating your own song, it's like your thoughts, your vision, your message that you want to share with everyone. Yeah. And look, it's a great song and they're amazing. It just wasn't my song. Did you like creating music videos? Did it kind of bring that passion of you like to be on camera, you kind of like to be an actress and it kind of incorporated everything into one? Yeah, I mean, look, music videos are super fun. The one for Let It Rain, obviously, soaking wet and freezing, <laughs> not so fun. And the fact that it was actually my idea, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, let's suffer. You know what I mean? Like, let's suffer for art. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, music videos are super fun. And um, I think the hard part is you feel weird because you're supposed to sing because if you're just you know, lip syncing, it doesn't really look the same as just really singing out loud. And you have the playback, but it's just a weird, it's a little, it's hard. Honestly, it's one of the harder things that I've had to do. When you were doing that music video for Let It Rain, were you that one take only kind of shot? Cause you don't want to have to be under the water all the time or be soaking for hours. I wish. <laughs> oh, because then they're like, oh, we're going to come in for a super close up. I'm like, you don't need that. You got it. You know, <laughs> like, I'm producing it. I'm like, no, we're good. We have a, no, no, just one more time. I'm like, okay. Like, yeah. And here's the thing. Like, there's this weird thing about me that I don't like having wet hair on dry clothes. Like, I don't like that feeling. You know what I mean? Like my hair is normally, cause I have so much hair. It's normally like on top of my head or like in some kind of a towel. Like I'm, I can't take a shower and then have so I had freezing cold hair. And then when my hair would start to dry, then they'd come and spritz it and make it wet again. So it's like dripping down my shoulders. So, and they're like, and actually, and then you're like, you know, 
get back into like your sexy whatever mode miserable like your muscles are all tight like yeah you talked about your song being on TikTok. And nowadays, if you're on TikTok and your music is playing, it's kind of a way for people to kind of hear the song and kind of say, oh, I've never heard this before. Are you getting that kind of reaction where people are now finding your music again after a while it's been out? Yeah, I am. Shockingly. I mean, not like a ton of people. I'm not like I'm <laughs> going viral or anything like that. Um, but a lot of people actually are, it's more so like, I didn't know you sang, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I've, there's a lot of songs out there. If you look for them. I know. I think that's amazing to hear that. It's kind of, I think that social media is doing something where people are reliving songs. I'll be on Instagram reels. I'll hear a song. I'm like, I've never heard this. And then I go look it up on like YouTube. I'm like, okay, I've actually heard this before. I know that artist. And it's kind of a great way to kind of hear great things that are out there. Yeah, I was so against TikTok. I was like, oh, it's the Chinese people are going to take all my information. Like Uh-oh. I weird, went down that rabbit hole, right? And then I was sort of like, yeah, they probably already have it, you know? And then um, I love TikTok, not for any other reason than I learned so much on TikTok. It's crazy. The amount of information that I learned, even just listening to like Gary Vee, right? He's just so inspiring, that guy. It's definitely, I think people are posting like videos that they see, not of them, they're be able to express themselves on TikTok. And it kind of, you mentioned that where, have you been able to try it? And we kind of talked earlier about not having that, what if I did this kind of attitude, just go out there and try it. Because the worst thing is you don't want to look years down and say, I wish I did this yeah. kind of mentality. Yeah. I mean, look, and I know a lot of people, TikTok is sort of like a means to an end. They're trying to get discovered, whatever they're doing. And people say to me, you know, you have to stick to one niche, Amy, just one, but I can't, I'm a hype. I'm a multi, I am hyphens on steroids. <laughs> I just got baby goats. You know what I mean? Oh, like wow. I got really cool kids. I homeschool. It's like, that's why I have a new docu-series called Ellie Bossman because I'm doing so many things, but I don't, why would I set limitations on myself? The world already wants to like box you in. Um, I don't want to do that to myself. And so sometimes, yeah, on TikTok, it's like, okay, it's supposed to be real estate related, right? But then every now and then I'm like, this is a really funny sound and it looks just like what the goats are doing and I'm (laughs) posting it and I don't really care because maybe someone needs to laugh today. With the LA Boss Mom docuseries, is it kind of like we're following your life and kind of learning more about you in a way? Or what's kind of the main message that you want to share with doing that show? Yeah. So when Yaw Media approached me about it, they were like, look, you know, people are streaming on their devices. People like very short episodes, um, less than like eight minutes kind of a thing, because everyone's attention span has kind of gone through through the, um, the floor. And uh, they said, you know, we feel like you're really inspiring because there's so many things that you're doing, but they didn't even know I was homeschooling. They didn't really know the full extent as to what my life kind of held. And they said, well, if you wanted to just, you know, do one thing. And I'm like, but I don't just do one thing. Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of the point is to show people that you don't have to just do one thing. Right. Like if someone is, I just saw this really cool show the other day, um, Alter Ego. Have you seen this show, Alter Ego? 
I don't think so. It's a singing show, and it's basically like oh yes, the on next Fox. digital yes, the next digital superstar. So they're able to take on this anim, this digital persona. There was a guy who's like a truck driver, but he sang opera, and his digital you know he'd given up on music, whatever. And it's like he's not going to not be a truck driver anymore, right? Because he loves being on the road, and that's his thing. But you know. He, he went back and gave singing a try. And I thought like, that's just so cool. Like, so for me, I wanted to be, look, I'm scared to do this. I'm scared to do this. I don't have the time to do this. Like those are excuses. Mm-hmm. Those are things that's fear. That's just fear talking. So you got to get rid of that. If this is something that you think is going to make your heart beat so strong in the morning. Just go for it. You really have nothing to lose. You know, was it kind of, kind of, comfortable having those cameras follow you around and kind of showcase what you were doing or was it kind of different because it wasn't like a script it's kind of like following your life in a way well I really love this docuseries because honestly like every reality show because I've been on enough and I've been um, offered enough reality shows (laughs) and when they say lightly scripted um, they are fully scripted pretty much and so what happens is um, you know you they see you and they know how they're going to paint you. They know what color they want to paint you. And so I was always the villain. Even when I did TV and movies and playing an actress, I was always the person that was killing someone or having an affair with someone. Every now and then I got to be like, you know, sweet, but it was very, very rare. And so um, this docuseries, it's not scripted. It's, it's my life, right? I mean, it may be something happens and I have to redo it, but it's something I naturally just, said someone didn't feed me words into my mouth Mm -hmm. because they want me to look and act a certain way whether that's the bad person um you know the victim whatever it is and so that's why I'm just so grateful that this particular company came along at this time I feel like it's the right fit for me when there were so many others it kind of came my way that just it wouldn't it would have been so like the real housewives of Beverly Hills came at (laughs) me about five years ago or so and I did about six interviews with them like to where they were doing full-on production filming at my house and then when we started talking about you know um so when you're on Rodeo Drive you know where would you pop in for lunch and I'm thinking my water broke at Target (laughs) um but I didn't say that right and then I just felt like like oh my gosh I'm I'm this is really just, this is not who I am. It's just not. And not to say that being in Beverly Hills is a bad thing. That's their life. Um, but it wasn't my life. And it would have just been like another acting job. And also then I knew how they were going to portray me. And I was like, yeah, I don't want that for my life. That's not my legacy, you know? I mean, you just see those shows like news reports, TMZs talking about things that are happening on those types of shows. And you're, and you kind of think, do I even want to be a part of something like that? Because there's some seasons that their names are okay, positive, And sometimes it just gets hit to the ground low. And you kind of just think, was it kind of worth it being on that kind of show? Not just that, but like, look, when I was on a soap opera, even the WWE, that bled over into my life. So I would be at an airport and I was the yep. bad guy. I was the bad guy on the WWE. People would still think I'm the bad guy. They could not separate Amy Weber in real life. Now you're on a reality, sh- reality show. 
and you're in real life and like you're getting hammered man as social media you yep. are getting hammered it's like I just don't know that I would want to bring that like be like yes please come hate on me you know what I mean um there's enough hate in the world as it is I I just don't think that's the path for me if someone comes at you just throw an elbow at them kind right. of get get, get a chase little chairs yeah I'll just I'll see on the news Amy Weber just started wrestling a fan and be like, oh, she actually did it after we just talked about it. <laughs> That's the bad thing about wrestling though, because like I live in an area now. I just got like this really cool, like I say it's a ranch, but I mean it's a, a normal house. But we've got these goats and we've got horses across the street, and I can have anything here. My neighbors have chickens, and WWE instilled something in me. I was always a fighter because coming from an abusive childhood, I just got to the point where I was like, no, no, you, you want to touch me? Guess what? You will die. Like it just, I just, something snapped inside of me. And so like, I tell people, if I see a coyote or anything in my yard, I charge at it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, people like, that's not normal. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's not. I don't know why. Like I just have this instinct that I know I don't run from things. I actually charge towards them and then yeah i blame the wwe for that for sure <laughs> i would be staying away from coyotes and all those kind of like wild animals even in, here in st louis i mean we don't get that many but like if i see a wild animal i don't want to go near it even like wild dogs you just don't do really that. oh i just want to punch it in the throat <laughs> <laughs> i know oh my god <laughs> something so, broken very broken yeah during the time in hollywood when did you find that passion for real estate? Because a lot of people, if they follow you on social media, real estate is a big part of your career and life and the things that you talk about. How did that passion come about? Um, so when I was, um, I started making some decent money, especially like on the soap opera and a lot of the modeling jobs I was doing. And I just wanted to be smart about my money because I saw how it was kind of like this up and down thing, especially financially, not just mentally and emotionally. So I started buying houses. And at one point I owned 10 houses in LA. So I lived in one and I rented out the other. And um, after like kind of that, and I got out of the business and I was married and I had kids, barely had kids, was never supposed to be a mom. That's a whole other show. Um, because of my cancer and, and everything that I went through. Um, I just didn't want to travel. I didn't want to be going to other countries for three, four months and be away from my kids, but I wanted to do something because when my kids, I was with my kids up until they were five, they started school. I was still with them, mm-hmm. meaning I didn't really work. Um, I would do things here and there, but only if they were like napping, I just wanted to take my kids everywhere and be a part of those formative years. That was really important to me. But then I thought, what do I want to do? Like, I can't, I'm not just going to go get my nails done all day. And like, I can't, I could have been that, that wife, but it just, I needed something to do that meant, meant a lot to me. And I thought, you know, if I can be a part of someone either, um, you know, becoming uh, independently wealthy or financially set because of real estate or help someone that their parents fell down the stairs and they no longer can handle a two-story home and I need to get them to a single story. So it's, it's building wealth, getting your first home. I just, I thought that's kind of a noble thing 
And I'm really good at it because I had done it before. And I have such a passion for helping people and being in service to others. I just naturally got into it. And now that I'm with the agency and I'm with this really great global, amazing, you know, brand, everything is just really, really incredible. Is California real estate like a true test because you see those houses and they're expensive and things like that? Is it kind of a real test for you as an agent to really see what kind of ideas can I come up with? How can I sell this? How can I make a dream happen for my clients? I mean, you know, I think real estate, um, sometimes people get really lucky. I think it's difficult probably in any market. It's just every now and then you're going to have these little problem children, right? (laughs) Um, That maybe other agents couldn't sell. So now they have like a history of being on the market, 300, whatever days. And you do have to get creative. But the way that I kind of approach it is that I own my own staging company that I only use for my listings. Um, I have a full crew that if I need to paint, I need to do things to prepare the home to look a little bit more market ready. Those are, thing, those are things that I will do. I don't just say, here's the card for someone, call this gardener. You know what I mean? Like I just come in and I, I'm like one stop shop for these people. And so... Um, Yeah, I mean, you have to get a little bit um, creative when it comes to marketing and presentation, but it's just just so much more than just putting the house in the MLS and then it kind of goes out on Zillow. I mean, look, I, you know, I don't normally, I don't go after expired listings. I don't go after those kind of things because I stay really busy um, with my referrals that I get, but I'll have buyers sometimes that they've seen everything on the market and I do need to write letters. And I will handwrite letters to the streets that they're looking for and immediately say, I am not looking to sell your house. <laughs> but if you're looking to sell, I have buyers that I think this might be a really good fit. So is that something that kind of stands you apart than other agents or agencies out there? Absolutely. Look, I think it's easy to go after low lying fruit. Uh, sometimes you got to climb the top of the tree and there's really not a lot of agents that are willing to kind of get up on those branches and get it done. <laughs> it's that fighter mentality in you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if I'm just not punching other agents. in the thing, <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> never that happens. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so you are a podcast host and you have a show called Amy Weber Unleash. How did that opportunity, we're kind of going through that journey with you. And this is a project that you're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, the podcast really just came out of nowhere. (laughs) I had a really good friend um, named John Orlando that I had done some stuff with him in the past. And, you know, he had a production company in Las Vegas and he was doing a podcast and he just said, listen, um, you know, we're looking to kind of expand and, you know, get some other podcasts out there. And I think that you would be really good at it. So I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me just go on your show first, which is, um, it was Action Junkies. I think I went on first because they have the junkie series. They have political junkies, action junkies, um, fitness junkies. And um, the show did really well. I think it was like the second best rated show that they had done in like, I don't know, six, seven years. And he just said, look, um, you have a lot of you know stories and you have a lot of life that you've lived. And if you're willing to really just, you know, be raw and share that with other people, you could change a lot of lives. And so, um, I mean, it took me a while because it's really scary to just bear everything. 
about your life when people have always had this preconceived idea of just how perfect and amazing your life has been. And it was just so false. That narrative was so false. And then to have to basically say, you know, these are the things that happened to me as a child. And these, this is what happened to me, you know, growing up. And um, it was tough, but I knew, you know, it was the right time. And I was strong enough at this point to be able to share these stories with people. And so just out there telling my weird, my weird life to the world. When you see reports or videos out there that kind of are explaining why you did something or like why you were released and they're giving all this information, but you're the one that knows the true answer. Do you feel that you have to put your voice out there or do you think like your fan base knows that's kind of false information? Amy's going to tell us when she's ready to tell us. I mean, look, I think it's like this. Um, you have really good friends, right? Yep. And if someone was accusing you of something, your true friends know your character and yep. they know, right? You wouldn't have done that. And so it's sort of like, it's kind of like that. Like people who really knew me, they're like, that's not how it happened. You know what I mean? And that's, she wouldn't have done that. That's not what would have, have taken place. So I didn't really feel the need to explain myself, but at some point I did kind of want to say, look, I'm just going to set the record straight just for those of you who won't let this go. Mm-hmm. Because wrestling fans are amazing yet relentless, kind of like soap <laughs> opera fans, which I love them. I love that someone can be so passionate about something and they don't miss a single episode and, you know, they know all the stories and look, that's cool right? That they have something to look forward to that maybe they watch with their kids or they pass that down, you know, as a family kind of a thing. Um, So I'm not mad at at those people, but I thought, you know, um, some people are not going to believe me. That's okay. Right. Um, But I do want to at least say, tell my side of the story, because there's always two sides to every story. One of your guests that you had was Joy on your show. Was that bringing up so many great memories? And had it been a while since you kind of had the chance to talk to her? Or do you guys still keep in communication? Yeah, I mean, she and I definitely throughout the years have kind of stayed in, I would say, just more long distance communication, like not talking every week, but it is that kind of friendship that when I talk to her, it's like, I haven't stopped talking to her. We just pick up sort of right where we left off. Um, But it was amazing to hear some of the things that she thought that I had never heard before, even about my exit and how, how that affected her and how she felt really guilty for staying, even though she knew what had happened to me. Um, but she had kids that she had to, you know, provide for financially. Mm-hmm. But um, I loved that episode. I mean, it was just because, I mean, who 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 do you travel on the road with and you go through these things with? Like, not many people know that shared experience that really understand when you're talking about these things, like what it felt like to actually be there experiencing it, you know? I think it just brings like fans even more knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes and kind of, they kind of keep it hidden in a way, but things get out there. But just watching that episode, you just could see like we were back in time and you guys had that friendship and still having that friendship on the show. And it's just amazing to see what you're able to do on that show. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's listen, it's, it's, 
people freak out because I go into Vegas and I shoot six shows at a time. So normally I'll shoot like four in one day or three in three, however I break it up and then I fly back to, to LA. But I really want to hear from people. Like I, I'm, I'm truly interested in the human experience that other people are having. And so I don't get tired and it doesn't feel like work and it's not some like arduous kind of thing because I, I truly am engaged, you know, when my guests are on my show. I have that same experience with my show. I, it's like a, it's kind of like a side hustle, side job. But when I get off of work, I enjoy learning about my guests and having that connection with them and just learning because I, you see, we were connected on um, LinkedIn and we only know basic, basic information about each other. And now you have like an hour conversation. You're like going into deep and you learn so much and you appreciate that guest even more that you had now. And it's just, I truly am honored that you're able to come on. Is there anything on that, your show that you hope to have, like a guest that you dream of having? Because before we recorded, you mentioned that you just show up and the guest is picked out and kind of things like that. Is there a dream opportunity guest that you want? I mean, I would love to either have Gary Vee or Jay Shetty. Um, you know, I, I hope this isn't true. I saw there's a girl who, um, do you know who Jay Shetty is? Mm-mm. Have you watched him? He's a kind of an inspirational speaker guy. And um, he says really incredible things, but she kind of called him out. Like he's taking other people's words and using them as his own. So I was really heartbroken because I was like, he was supposedly a monk, right? He went and lived in a monastery and he's got this whole big story and she debunks the whole entire thing. I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I really want to talk to him about that, whether, you know, how he feels about someone saying he's basically a fraud. And then, I mean, Gary V all day long, just because I think anytime you can give that guy any additional platform, not that he needs it, but any additional airtime platform to touch more people, I'm all for that. Do you like that it you're in Vegas with the show and you kind of get away from LA for a little bit, or do you wish that it was kind of closer at home so you weren't far away from your family? I mean, it's it, that it's so hard because I do not like being away from my kids at all. Um, but I also know that, and look, when I go there, I'm not like gambling and like, I literally, I do my show, I get room service. I wake up the next day, do that. I get on the jet and I come home. You know what I mean? It's like very sort of quick kind of a thing, but I also get a little bit of a break for myself. And I do know that. And I preach this all the time when my cup is overflowing as a human being, I'm better at everything. And that includes being a mom. And so the break, it's only once a month that I fly out there. It's not like I'm flying every week. Um, I've earned it and I deserve it, even though I feel guilty about it most <laughs> of the time. Uh, but I do come back and, you know, even though it's like not even a day and a half, right? But it's like distance makes a heart grow fonder. It's like I, I want to spend even more time with them than I already do. And so... Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be good, but there's so many people that live in Vegas now. And then also there's guests that want to come to Vegas because it's a fun place. So besides the pandemic, um, so it's easier to get guests there than maybe it would be in Los Angeles. 
do you prefer like the in-person than the Zoom kind of style of your show? Aw. <laughs> buddy, it's not time to eat yet. Um, you know, they always say that, like, what are you doing? This is Jackson. Um, Jackson just wants to make an appearance. I love you. Okay, go down. They say that in person just has a better energy about it. Like when you can have the person like in studio. Um, I don't really, it doesn't matter to me whether I think the heart, the hardest thing for me, I don't know if you've um, experienced this. Have you had more than one person on at a time? No, I, so I've had like a, I had a married couple wanted to come on together, but they both had individual stories and I didn't want to do like a two hour, three hour episode with both of them. So I kind of broke it apart and I got to kind of dive in deeper, but I, yeah. I try to avoid multiple people because I want to give each person the respect and have their own story shared. Yeah, that was hard because I had two people on that. One was a lot older and one was younger. One wasn't really on. So, I mean, it was again, like I said, trying to make sure that I got to know Bull in a deeper way. That was very hard. Did you have hosting experience before doing the show? Or was this like a brand new thing, but you also had the TV movie experience where being on camera was kind of natural for you? Yeah, I had hosted a lot. Like I had hosted on camera, um, not like radio or anything, but I hosted Lingerie Bowl and I hosted for E and I hosted for MTV and the list goes on and on and on. I had red carpet. I hosted a lot. Um, so I had that experience, a ton of it. I mean, just hearing everything, it's like you kind of hit almost all the different points with Hollywood movies, TVs, and it's just amazing. But now I want to ask, what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? You know, right now I'm going through a massive, just really deep exploration personally and professionally again, because I'm, I'm always kind of trying to figure out how to be the best version of, of me. And so, um, you know, it's all coming down to gratitude. And um, so personally, I just want to stay on this whole journey of, you know, waking with gratitude and keeping that throughout the day, making sure that if that gratitude changes to something, then maybe it's curiosity, mm-hmm. um, but never coming from a place of anger or angst. Um, and then professionally, it's the same thing. Um, I just, I'm ready to kind of move into, you know, even more higher end homes, helping as many people as I can. I feel like, you know, I had to learn that, you know, people, okay, it's supposed it's sales, but I don't feel like I'm a sales person because everything I do for people, there's so much emotion that goes into it. And I'm so cognizant of that fact um, when someone's going through a transaction. And so to serve as many people as I can, because I know that I'm the best out there for them. And I'm just really keeping in that kind of mind mindset and not feeling like, Oh God, I shouldn't reach back out to these people. Cause I'm bugging. That's like, you're, I'm not bugging them. I'm offering them a service that they're not going to get with anyone else. So it's just kind of just keep its mindset. I guess on both fronts is where I'm looking to grow in the next coming years. I love hearing that, that you care more about the person instead of the financial aspect of it. Yes, you want to make money, but 
you're doing it for what's best for that customer, that client, instead of, oh, this is a big uh, money house. I'm going to make a lot of money off of that. And just shows a lot about your positive characteristics and the great person that you are when it comes to those kind of things. Thank you. I mean, look, I think your why has to be greater than money. Yeah. It just has to be, honestly. And and my why is so strong when it comes to helping others and um, just what I'm able to give even as a human being and them understanding that I do care. I care so deeply for what people are going through. I mean, I have a client right now who's, they all become dear friends to me. And it's like, you know, he buried his, he's an escrow. I'm an escrow on his house and trying to find him a new house. And I'm still doing everything behind the scenes. Meanwhile, he just buried his father mm-hmm. on day, and then his sister died the next day. Oh, yeah. Wow. And it's like, I still have to keep this bus moving, right? I'm driving a bus. And so behind the scenes, I'm doing all these things that he probably should be doing, but mm-hmm. he mentally can't. Yep. And so, you know, I guess most agents would just be like, oh, hey, you need to, you know, do this. Like, no, he's grieving. Yep. And um, I'm just going to step up to the plate and I'm just going to go ahead and get this done because that's what a good person does in any industry. That's what a good human being does. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? You know, I really would tell people that it starts with self-belief because look, we have enough people telling us we can't do it, right? We don't need to tell ourselves that we can't do it. So first and foremost, goal setting is vital. And then also follow up, following up on, on, you know, whatever goals that you're doing. And again, like I say, the answer is always no, unless you ask. And um, so I would just tell people also, look, I'm very much into quantum physics and the laws of attraction. It's a big part of my life. And um, what you put out, you definitely are going to get back threefold. And so I think just working on, again, if you can come from a place of just being grateful, even for things that haven't even happened yet, Mm -hmm. but you know for a fact that they are going to happen and you were so sure about it, um, just having that good mindset is going to be more important than any class you can take or any training because like-minded people want to be around like-minded people, right? Just having that energy and being in that headspace and having that belief, opportunities are going to come your way. You're not even going to know why they're coming. They're going to come to you. Well, Amy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.